Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. So warm. It's not unlike our home last night when we used one of those three-hour logs and uh, could barely get through 30 minutes of the smoke fest that ensued. I think we were supposed to check our flume. Is that a proper fireplace word? Yeah. Flu? Like the illness? Yeah. So that was not cool. (laughs) I have lots of kids in our home. They're all safe. And the house that we rent is intact, so that's good. Hey, a couple of things before we get into the message. There's a few things you must know about. First, we love to do things um, for ourselves, don't we? (laughs) We have an event that we're hosting here at the church. It's a tree lighting event. It's coming up this Saturday. And there's a flyer that you got here. One side tells about the teaching series we're in, and the other side tells about our events. And this coming Saturday, guys, seriously, this is going to be the tree lighting event to end all tree lighting events. We got a fully dressed Santa. We got a full regalia elf, an adult elf. Yeah, you might want to come just to see that. There's going to be candy canes. There's going to be gingerbread houses. There's going to be tamales. Can you say tamales? Yeah, congratulations. You can say tamales. You say habla espanol. So there's so many beautiful things this event this Saturday you won't want to miss. We also love to do things for those outside ourselves. And this is a wonderful season to do that, isn't it? When you kind of grow up, you realize that it is more blessed to give than receive. And we have a homeless need in Costa Mesa and surrounding areas. And if you go to the lobby after service, you're going to see a table with a little Christmas tree on it and some socks. Two wonderful causes for those outside the church walls that we just want to love on with acts of of kindness and, and, and gifts and service. So go out there if you want to give back this season. Go by and see Robin and Jan and whoever else is at the table with those gals. It's a great, great cause. goes to a really, really important cause. This week, we continue our Flip the Script series, as Bucky mentioned. It's actually a study in the book of Isaiah. I'm gonna read this to you now. This is from Isaiah 7. This is where we're gonna be primarily this morning. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means, everyone say it with me, God is with us. Classic Christmas text, isn't it? It is, but I think like so much of scripture, there are things that we miss. You see, we have this book written by the prophet Isaiah that chronicles his messages. Isaiah was a prophet, which is a Bible word for messenger or mouthpiece of God. And he wrote, uh, he he lived during the time of some of the Jewish kings, good and bad. He spoke into their lives, the Jewish leadership, and into the people about how to stay on course. And this season, flip the script, Isaiah gets us back in the focus according to the times that we're in helps us embrace the season for all that it is. And there's no mistake of why we chose Isaiah. There's a lot of places you could go. You go strictly topical for Christmas. You know, one is just joy this weekend, and one is just literal presence, like P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, weekend. And there's a message around presence. Uh, We're talking about presence this morning, but it's P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, like the presence of God. That's our big idea, skipping ahead for a moment. But there's no mistake of why we picked Isaiah. I want to say quickly, It's going to get really intense really quick. Are you ready? Are you here with me to journey with me through this message? Journey? 
Awesome. Just said journey twice in 15 seconds. It's good. We love it. The first thing is, is because the period in which Isaiah is writing, when we read his stories, it's the times in which he's writing are not much unlike today. He writes to a Jewish people who are in exile. He writes to a Jewish people at one point who are in captivity, who are shackled and carted off to a foreign place. In so many ways, this mirrors our time today as a church. If the Jews were the people of God and now uh, Christians are also included as the people of God, then we have this kind of situation for the church today where it feels like we're on the margins, we're in exile, we're in wilderness, we're trying to figure out who we are a little bit. Whether you know that to be true or not, it is true. Whether, it come, whether it's uh, kind of subtle antagonisms with you know, uh, federal government or whether it's the secular culture that we find ourselves in, there are lots of examples I'd like to cite why Isaiah is the perfect time and context for what we're facing today. One of the things is our kids left the church. I don't know if you knew that or not. Maybe you know this very personally because your child is 18 to 28 or in the early 30s and you're still praying for them to come back to church. That's an exile type of moment for the church today. There's references in the Old Testament. I put some of them there. They, they quote unquote intermarried. This is an idea in the Old Testament of they left. They left the family of God for another family. And we've seen that today. Other examples. We're deeply immersed in sexual, sexual, secular is the word I'm going for. You can go back a few podcasts and listen to our, our sermons on sex. They're really good. Secular was the word I was looking for. Secular culture. We're deeply immersed in secular culture. That's no longer just a thing out there. It's been subtly and kind of insidiously immersed inside the church community as well. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Famous passage from Judges 21 in chapter 17. We've kind of arrived at that place even inside the church where we just do what feels right and we do what we think in the moment and we do what we hear others are doing. That is not the biblical worldview. Biblical worldview means you use the Bible as a lens for thinking and doing and responding. And of course, we have a problem with uh, our, our, where our worship goes, where our praise and our adoration goes. And yes, even inside and outside the church, we find ourselves in a time, in a context where the worship, the praise, the adoration of false gods is rampant. There's so many things, guys. Do we sense inside our heart? Do you feel that in this season? That there are so many things that temporarily, even if temporarily, take the throne of God. And there was a verse in our uh, kind of Bible lesson as we were reading the Bible to our kids one night. Again, back in the Old Testament books of the Bible, the, the Bible is one book, 66 books, some of the earlier books, there's this passage that says that the, the Israelites, the Jews themselves, God's chosen people, they wandered, right? They drifted, they worshiped worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves. Man, it's kind of haunting, isn't it? We sensed at different seasons how that's true for us, and there's a whole generation and a time where that's true for us today. And so that's why we chose Isaiah. It's very timely. It's very contextual. It's very particular. All those hundreds of thousands of years ago, actually, we find ourselves in an interesting place today as a church where we need to rally ourselves and we need a clarifying moment of truth. That's what Isaiah does. As a prophet, as a messenger of God, he brings a clarifying, an identity clarifying truth. And we need that here and now, even in the Christmas season, right here, 2019. And here is that truth. Are you ready for the truth? Here's the answer. I'll give it to you. There's no quiz pieces of paper on your outline. No fill in the blank at this church. I'm sorry. Some people may want that. We don't have a fill in the blank. Here's what I do have right now. The word is Emmanuel. Say Emmanuel. 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 God is with us. What better word? What better time? 
Because if we are in exile or facing exile or in captivity or facing captivity in the culture, in the time, in the worldview today, what better word than God with us? A season where God comes near. I'm pointing to the Christ child in the manger. He came near in the person of Jesus. It's a beautiful story. And that's the big idea this morning, guys. You are not alone. You are not alone this Christmas season. This holiday season, we are with God. He is with us. He draws near to us in this season. And this morning, I want to talk about three ways, three ways we can practice the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, of God. Are you ready to come with me on this journey still? We're going deeper, deeper still. If you didn't like to talk on captivity, you're not going to like where I go next, okay? Dun-dun-dun, sorry. We have such a barrier today to practicing the presence of God? How do we get in this moment where some of us in the room feel so alone during the holidays? And our friends and our family and our coworkers feel so alone during the holidays. How did that happen? How did we get here? And there's this thing called individualism. Not a new word for most of us in the room. Not a new word. Sociologists, social scientists have been talking about this phrase for a lot of years individualism. When we figured out we didn't have to date inside the courtship model of our parents and our family. When we figured out we don't have to build a business just with a group of people. We could do a startup right now online. When we figured out that's been happening for decades where we moved away from the communal uh, society to more individualistic. But I'm going to double down on this idea to really give you some some doom and gloom. (laughs) There's a guy who came up with the term, he calls it hyper-individualism. We're not living in a time 60 years ago during the proliferation of individualism. We're living in a time of hyper-individualism. And you may be saying to yourself, come on, Ben. Is that just a made-up word? Like, we had ADD. Was that bad enough? We had to have ADHD. We had to throw a hyper in there, too. Is that, Ben? Come on. I know that's a real thing. I get it. It's chemical. It's science. I understand. What is that? Is that a made-up term? And where are you going with this? There's a guy. His name's Mark Sayers. He wrote a book called Disappearing Church. He, he likens and defines hyper-individualism to a sort of apocalypse. Ooh, extreme language. I told you. I at least warned you. Okay? It's like an apocalypse of the soul, of the inner heart, of the inner mind. No, it's not an apocalypse where the aliens come and the monsters come and there's a natural disaster in the movies you see today. No, it's an inner apocalypse. He describes this scene from a movie called Her, starring Joaquin Phoenix, maybe you've seen the movie, where the t- it tracks the experience of two tech addicts. They've become so isolated, so alone, that it feels like a sort of inner apocalypse. This is what he says. He says, no one can see it, this apocalypse, because the city still stands. The lights blink, and the buildings, like the people, are still beautiful. Structurally, the culture stands, yet emotionally, socially, and spiritually, it's disappearing. It's a kind of a beautiful apocalypse. Does that not sound like our current social media personas that we keep up? Everything falls apart while looking beautiful, at least. He goes on. This is not a functioning world. There's no sacred order. Whoops. Whoops. No, we're still on that one. Good. There's no sacred order. There's no home, no community, no institution, no church, no place where we can be loved unconditionally. It's just simply a beautiful, designed public space in which individuals seek autonomy and freedom only to become paralyzed and anxious. We know who that's describing. It's some of us in the room. It's some of our friends and family and coworkers. 
We've maintained these personas. We've maintained these investments in total autonomy and freedom. Even as Christians, do you see now what I mean? How the secular culture and the, and the, and the, and the worship of false gods has even come into the church? Because we're okay with the Bible, and we may even be okay with giving to the church, and we're definitely okay with volunteering and serving others, but any claim to my autonomy and my freedom, eh, you better watch it. That's socialism, right? That's what we say. That's what we say, even humorously. But that's what we say. You'll never encroach on my personal autonomy and my freedoms. And yet this drive for hyper-individualism, where does it leave us? If we are the end-all, be-all, if it's about us, if the world revolves around us and me and my wants and my desires and my feelings, right? It's a party of one. It's a party of one. So that's the end point of individualism, and that's the time that we're in today. And by the way, just as a quick kind of qualifier, no one did that to us. We chose, we choose, even during this holiday season, we may opt into a style or an ambition or, or an investment of our time that is hyper-individualistic. Yes, we have the influence of the culture, we have the influence of the outside world, we have the influence of non-believers. Influence is always there, but we chose. We opted in for this hyper-individualistic culture and beautiful society, yet dying on the inside. But there's hope. We will turn the corner. It is Christmas time. It is December. Don't worry. There is hope. Because if we chose in, we can opt out. That's the beautiful thing. That's the good news. That's the hope. Because we can embrace the truth that says God with us. We can practice the presence of God. You see, the scripture is so clear that he will come near. He comes near in the time of Jesus and his birth. But he came near even years before that with the Jews, with the Israelites that I mentioned. So the first part that I want to talk about in practicing the presence of God is through prayer, okay? Bucky said last week, we can meet God. He, that, that, that God gets a face. That God lights up his own face through the person of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. He comes near. Recently, I went to go pray for someone who was sick, an uh, uh, old World War II veteran into his 90s, and looks like he you know, could be on his last leg here, um, he did amazingly well. I couldn't believe it. He, was, he got himself to the table, assisted, and we had a half a meatball sandwich together. It was incredible. Really sweet man. And he was raised Jewish. And uh, a friend of the, ours here at the church invited me, Karen, invited me to come and pray with her dad because she's kind of got this newfound faith thing going and, and she's, her heart's really pouring out for her dad. And she just you know, cares for him deeply and has a lot of compassion for him, obviously. And so for a, a week or more, I'm just thinking, God, what's the verse you're going to give me? And what's the story I need to tell? And, and what's the come to Jesus talk I need to do for this sweet old man? And I'm praying, God, do a miraculous thing even before I get there. Kind of move on his heart and his mind so that he's soft and he's ready for whatever it is. And I'm pulling up to the curb. And not, I'm just kind of striving, just trying to figure out what it is that God wants me to say in this, you know, kind of a tough meeting. And I'm pulling up to the curb when God literally, the second I'm stepping up to the curb, brings this verse to my mind. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. You guys know Proverbs 29, 11. This is not that verse. Proverbs 29, 11 is a famous verse. If you're new to church, it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You keep reading to verse 12, and there's this beautiful, beautiful picture of God with us. Right here from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was another prophet, another mouthpiece for God. And this is what he says. This is writing to a people in captivity. This is writing to a people of God in captivity. They're in bondage. And this is what he says. In those days, when you're in bondage, you're in captivity, you're in exile church, when you pray, I will listen. 
If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. That's God with us, isn't it? Isn't that amazing that God will allow himself to be found by us? No matter what, no matter when, no matter how far gone, no matter how many questions, no matter how many troubles, no matter how many reservations, no matter how many doubts, he will be found by us. This does not have to be a season of loneliness and despair and isolation. And those people felt that way. The Jews, Israelites, in that time, they felt that way. Shackled, some of their family killed, murdered by their side, ripped away from their homeland, the chosen land where God had promised them they'd be, taken away to a foreign land with foreign food, foreign custom, foreign language. This is a dark and isolated time for them. And God speaks to them in the darkness. God speaks to them in isolation and says, all you have to do is cry out to me and I will be heard. So the first thing you can do in terms of practicing the presence of God is to pray. Yes, it's a church. It's Sunday morning. It's not a series on prayer, but we're gonna highlight prayer, and we're gonna go even deeper because there's a type of prayer that has to do with asking, and that's the second thing I wanna tell you about. To practice the presence of God, you need to ask. We need to practice this discipline, this faith discipline of asking, and he will give you a sign. He will show up. This is back to Isaiah 7. We know Isaiah 7, 14, that's the verse I read. For the virgin will give birth to a child and he will be called Emmanuel. We read that, right? The context right before verse 14 is this, verse 10. Here's what it says. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want. Make it as what? High as heaven. Is that, are we on the right thing? Here, we're gonna try one more time. We're gonna back up, flip it, and reverse it. Are you ready? Make it as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a what? A sign. Look! Exclamation point. The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Wow. Huh? What? Ben, I don't know what I think or feel about asking God for signs. Isn't that a little superstitious? Isn't that a little too supernatural for my taste? What have I heard about signs? Have I heard some common verses about signs that would refute this point that you're about to make? I don't know. Let's find out together, shall we? Okay, so the king would actually go on to answer no. He says no. In in a moment of false humility, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I won't test God that way. Isaiah's like, cool, I'll give you one anyway. What does it say? It says, look, I'll give you a sign. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus, the king and savior of the Jews. So take a cue from King Ahaz, who is an evil king, by the way. Isaiah gives him a warning, gives him a heads up, gives him a sign. A few weeks later, okay, maybe a little longer, Ahaz is in captivity. He was an evil king. He didn't listen. He didn't pay attention to the signs. He didn't ask for a sign. I wonder how many of us do the same. Because we've built a whole theology off of one passage from Matthew 16 where the Jews at Jesus' time came to him and said, hey, prove your skills. What sign can you give us? And Jesus says, you're so wicked. Why did he say that? He said, it's in your heart that you're trying to test me. I've already done signs and wonders all over the place for, in full view for all of you to see and you still don't believe. You're a wicked generation. You're an unbelieving generation. One verse. Did we? Is that resonating for anyone else in the room? Because that was me growing up, that I built an entire theology, which means knowledge of God. I built a whole system of belief around one passage, that we should never pray for God to show up in a mighty way, that we shouldn't pray for, for God to show up in a radical way. Now I'll say, before I continue, is that a pretty unique sign? Is the sign of saying, yes, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, will be born on this day, and the Messiah is coming, is that pretty particular? And that we, if we cry out, we're not just going to get another Messiah? Yeah, probably. 
That's probably a pretty unique sign, okay? I'll give that to you. And no, God is not the celestial slot machine where we just get to just pump out wishes all day long. No, not so, not what I'm saying. But if you look at scripture, you guys, you need to look at scripture for a second. There's so many examples, so many examples. David sought response from God nine times over two chapters. He said, God, I'm going to go forth in this battle, but should I? Can you show up? Can you respond? Can you let me know whether I should go right or should I go left? Nine times. David, King David, famous David. Of course, you have the story of Gideon. He lays out a fleece. He says, Lord, just wake up in the morning, have it be wet. And Lord, I'll wake up in the morning if the fleece is dry. And he's kind of testing God. He's kind of challenging God. He's kind of making some radical requests of God. I want to know this morning, does anyone have a Christmas miracle they're praying for? And do you have a voice in your head that's saying, nah, 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 nah. The God of the Bible doesn't operate that way. He couldn't do that. I'm speaking, all I can do is speak from, that's what we do as pastors. We're still human beings, you know. We're still men and women who come and communicate here as well. We're fathers and husbands. We're still people. And all we can do is communicate from our experience. And for me, this last year and a half has been an absolute awakening to the ways I talk to God the ways I pray to God and experience his presence, and the ways that I ask things of God and experience his presence. Because I was raised in a tradition that you wouldn't have asked like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have prayed big, bold, imaginative prayers with faithful expectation that God could show up in a radical way. And in this last year and a half, I've come to learn. We've had great people come and train our prayer team, started with our prayer team, and now it's spread to our staff and to, and to some of you in the room where my faith is being radically changed. And I'm learning to expect things of God in a totally different way. Because how big is our God? What? Do you want to worship? Do you want to sign on for a God that just does like the wee little prayers? Like, I'm on my way to work today, Lord. You know, just hook it up with another meeting. Those are great prayers. And yeah, he answers them, doesn't he? But sometimes we get stuck in that rut every day. That's our ask. That's our ask. That's our ask. Just for health for today. And just for safety in the car today. And just for this one meeting today. And then we think that's the only pitch that God has. Oh, he's so much bigger. He's so much more imaginative than that. He's waiting for us. He's kind of waiting for us to step up and, and, and learn to dance with him in that way because he's a relational God who deals with speaking with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to hear from us. And so we've lost imagination. Mark Batterson, a great prolific writer, he says this about imagination and prayer. He says, as we age, either creativity overtakes memory, he means like muscle memory, when things are just automatic, you know, we just do it because we've always done it. It's kind of routine. Either creativity overtakes memory or memory overtakes creativity. Imagination is the road less traveled, but I think it's the pathway of prayer. Prayer and imagination are directly proportional. The more you pray, the bigger your imagination becomes because the Holy Spirit supersizes it with God-sized dreams. Does anyone want that? Is anyone interested in that this morning? That's awesome. I'm so pumped. Let's go on. A good test of spiritual maturity, and I'm talking to us in the room who have been believers for a couple minutes, is whether your dreams are getting bigger or smaller. The older you get, the more faith you should have. Why? Because God showed up a couple times. He showed up a couple times. And that should impact our expectation for the next four times. The older you get, the more faith you should have because you've experienced more of God's faithfulness. And it's God's faithfulness that should increase our faith and expand our vision. There's no middle road. <laughs> a road diverged in a wood. My literature teacher from eighth grade would be so happy. And I took the one less traveled. There's two roads here of increasing faith, increasing expectation. 
trusting on God's faithfulness, growing in imagination. And there's another one, uh, at best, it just kind of drifts. It's just kind of status quo. At worst, it starts to peel off. And we don't grow in faith, and we don't grow in expectation, and we don't grow in imagination in the ways that we ask. And therefore, by the way, remember, we're just talking about practicing the presence of God, and therefore, we may not get to experience his presence in the same way either. And so I want to ask a challenge question, because this is the question that's hit me between the eyes. Have we built an entire theology around one passage that God doesn't show up in big ways, in specific ways anymore, that we can't pray for a sign in that way? And, and, and just to be careful, by the way, because just as a general proviso, you, you must be careful when you build a whole theology off of one passage. We try and be careful not to do that. That's just a bonus. But more importantly, I want us to be thinking, because a lot of us in here are, are, are 50 and over, and we've been to church a couple times, i.e. our whole adult life. Are we growing in expectation? Are we growing in faithful imagination of what God can do? Are we growing in that way? Because those two roads, they engender belief. Those are seeds planted. One sows a seed of unbelief and one sows a seed of, of, of relational faith. And we say, God can't do that. He can't touch that. He doesn't want to go there with me. So go ahead. Go ahead and ask God for a sign. But be prepared. Be prepared for what? Do you know what I'm going to say? Be prepared to listen. Be prepared to listen. In that same book, it's called Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. He talks about the fact that we may ask of God. We may expect of God. And it's so awesome. It's so big. And it may even be specific. And then a few months pass, and we have no idea if he even responded because we think, maybe that was just chance. Eh, maybe they just got better after time. Or maybe it was just modern medicine. We can't even track with the ways that God showed up in our life. Why? Because we're so hurried. We miss the manger. We miss the tree. We miss Mary and Joseph. We miss how God wants to come near. We can't hear and see the way he responded if we don't stop and listen. Guys, promise me right now. Make a promise with me personally. I know I'm not up on your list, okay? I'm not top. I'm not even getting a Christmas card from half of you. All right, I understand. That's okay. I can be honest about that. But make a vow with me, little old me right now, and promise me that you'll stop. Promise me this will be the year. That you won't let another Christmas season just blow right past you without seeing God and seeing the people the way God sees them. Let's not let another season go by where we just blow past it. And that road of chaos and stress and drama that Bucky talked about earlier, which leads to isolation. Is that not the definition of insanity? Where we end up again at the end of another Christmas season, we say, oh man, that was painful. I'm so happy it's over. And then what? We did that in 2018 and 2017 and 2016 and so on and so forth. Let's do it different. I know it doesn't sound very sexy, Okay? To have a season where you stop and you pause. I know that's not very romantic. Where you stop and you pause and you listen, but build it in this season and see what happens. Ask God, put the Christmas miracle back on the table. I want to see what happens, and I want to hear about it, as long as you promise to tell me what happened. Okay. Third point, to practice the presence of God, we've been given family. We've been given family. So Isaiah, he brings this word of encouragement. Even for a king in isolation, even for a king who is evil and wicked and doing it wrong and then ends up in captivity, he brings a word of God come near. King says, no, I won't do it. He brings him a sign anyway. And what's really the sign? 
Yes, the sign is Jesus. Yes, the sign is the Messiah who's come. Let's read this one more time and see if you can see it, okay? Practice the presence of God with your family. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You know what I think is just like so entirely missable? I understand it's not a word. Do you think I care? It's not a word, but I have the microphone, so I'm just going to go with it, okay? The thing that's so easy to miss, the missable thing this morning, I'm saying it again, there's like 5% of you that are so cringing. They're like, he can't do that. He can't use a word that's not a word. Why, God, did you bring me to this church today where he's using words like that? It's detracting from my Christmas experience. Why, you know what's so easy to miss? Because I love you 5%, I'll just say it that way. So easy to miss in this passage because it's a classic Christmas narrative, isn't it? The virgin will conceive a child, we shall call him Jesus. Virgin birth. This is a classic narrative. But I see, this, I see these words that are very consistent, and they point to a big idea to me in terms of practicing the presence of God. Birth, child, son, naming. I know, I know about a couple of these things. My wife and I have had a handful of children, and so I know about birth a little bit. I know about being a child and raising a child a, a little bit. I'm only a 30-something, so no, I'm not a pro. Don't come to me. I can't help you. Sonship being called. Well, it's family language, isn't it? Let's do an activity because we're going to the, towards the end here, and we're getting a little bit sleepy, and I believe in physical exercise, and it's going to help you meditate. I don't know. <clears throat> we're going to do the raise the hand game. Are you ready? Are you guys ready? Uh, look, at, the only way we do the raise the hand game around here is 100% participation. I, I, I won't do it otherwise. I'll stop doing it. Unless there's 100% participation, I'll stop doing it. Okay? So I'm looking at all of you wherever you are. Thank you. This guy gets it. I haven't asked the question yet, though, so calm down over there. Raise your hand. How many of you have a son? By raise of hands. How many of you have a son? Okay. Good. Uh, another question. How many of you have a daughter? By raise of hands. By raise of hands. Oh, yeah, actually, at this point, you can keep them up. Yeah, I know. It's really hard. My shoulder would be cramping. Just keep them up. Previous question, keep them up. If you have a son, keep them up. If you have a daughter, keep them up. All right, that's good. There's a couple people that haven't, you know, had any babies yet. There's literally just like five or six. Okay, how many of you are a son? Keep them up. Keep them all the way up. Raise your hand if you are a son. Some of you got confused on that one. It's okay. Raise your hand if you are a daughter. Oh, good. We got 100% participation. Way to go. That's all of us. That's all of us. Oh, where do we go next with that, Ben? I, this is where we go. Family. Oh, you can put your hands down. Great job. You guys did so good. I love it. You're so faithful. Does it strike anyone else? Does it strike anyone else that God devises this whole cosmic rescue mission? It is cosmic in size, isn't it? If it transcends all of history and all of humanity and the whole globe of all time, it devises this cosmic rescue mission and he does it through the vehicle of what? A baby. A baby boy. But a mom and a dad and some siblings would come and a family. And herein lies the hidden mystery of the presence of this season. Each one of you is a child. Each one of you is a child. You can't be in isolation. Each one of you is a son or a daughter. You can't be alone. Each one of you is family. Let that sink in for a second. The band's going to come up here, and I'm going to wind down. 
but I want you to know that that is God's call on your life. To practice the presence of God through prayer, through asking with imagination, and remembering that you're part of a family. You're part of a family. So your biological family stinks. So your biological family is kind of a nightmare Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. Welcome home. That's what I want to say to you this morning. Welcome home. What does the sign say? When you walk in to the church in the front of the building, what does the sign say? What what does it say? Loud and clear. This is an actual question. What does it say? Family here. There's another sign, and I thought you guys were going to guess that one, and I was going to say you got it so horribly wrong, but it's super confusing because there's two massive signs as you walk in, but you got it. Family here. Remember. Remember this about reading the Bible. Remember this about Christian community. When God comes and he uses Isaiah as the mouthpiece thousands of years before Jesus' time, and he says he'll be called Emmanuel, and the name means God with me, God with I, God with me, myself, and I. No, though you'll feel that way. He says God with us. You can't miss this point about family because every single one of us in some way or another, in some season or another, so fine, if it's not you right now and you're so stoked on your church family and you're in a small group and you know what it means to be known by someone, someone knows your junk, someone knows your stuff, someone knows your wounds and you know theirs and you're in that season and you get Christian community and you know what spiritual family is, awesome, God bless you. Let this be a deposit for the time and maybe it's right now for you. We were thinking, no one wants to know that about me. No one wants to see that side. No one wants to hear that stuff. And you, and you think for a second that you can just do it on your own. And you can be this rugged individualist. You can just go solo. You can build the company. You can build the family even in isolation. You can build your name in isolation, in freedom and autonomy. There'll be a day when that little voice comes in and I'm telling you to run and reject it with all that you are because that is not the passageway to to presence with God. No man is an island. You've heard that famous quote. And yet we still do that even in church. We think I can go to the church and I I can just figure it out and I can just go it alone. You can't. It doesn't work that way. You've got to practice the presence of God by embracing spiritual family, people that want to know you, people that will forgive, people that will bear with you. I know, trust me, I know. Just recorded a podcast with a friend just this morning about a conflict that we had, a church member here, a conflict we had. The whole podcast episode was about managing conflict, how to handle conflict well. And I'm so thankful that I have a brother like that when I act like an idiot, which I did, which I definitely did, and was dramatic and emotional and gave way to my feelings and let the enemy, yeah, I let Satan have way with my feelings and take them to a a bad place. Though feelings can be good and they can point us to God. I let it evolve and devolve and go down a bad road. I'm so thankful to God in heaven that I have a brother who will bear with me even when I act a fool like that who will offer me forgiveness and understanding and compassion and mercy. And that is to be found in family. And it's an offer 
freely given, freely extended to every single one of you guys. As you're in this season, don't miss the offer of God came near. And we get to do that right now. We're going to practice communion. There's stations at the front and stations in the back. Don't miss this opportunity. That's what communion is. Communion is my fourth point, right? That when you celebrate communion elements, the juice and the cracker or the body and the blood of Jesus, you're practicing the presence, you're celebrating, you're accepting, you're embracing the very reality of Christ came near. God came near. God is present with you. So if you're coming here today, please don't miss this moment of communion where God wants to shatter the bondage of isolation and loneliness in your heart and in your head and in your relationships. Bring it right now. Bring it right now and find out the powerful sign. Communion is a sign of my body and my blood poured out and broken for you, Jesus said. Let it be a reminder. So come. Come with your Christmas miracles. Come with your big prayers. Come with your imaginative requests and see what God can do in your heart right now in this moment. Let's bow our heads and I'll pray for us as we come to communion. You come to communion and you'll see some people circle up and that's just kind of an organic tradition that started here. Find someone to join in with. And if you're starting a circle, keep your head up and look for someone else who may be new and they want to join you. There's no qualifier for communion here this morning. We have an open table. So wherever you're at, you're free to come and experience Jesus, the presence of the living God. God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this word. Thank you for Isaiah's words that they still have power and weight for us today. That you sent us a sign and you are still a sign-working, miracle-working, way-making, powerful, powerful God. You make a way even in a tough, lonely season, even when we're threatened by isolation and individualism, Lord God. You make a way. You come near. So, Father, I thank you so much for every heart that is present for every soul that is threatened by apocalypse, Lord. Our inner journey, our, our, inner, our inner hearts, our inner minds, our inner souls, Lord, our very souls are so rattled. They're, they're so fragmented. I sense that right now in the room. I know I'm speaking to someone, Lord, when I say our inner hearts and souls and minds are rattled and fragmented. God, take the broken pieces right now and mend them as we go to communion, I pray in Jesus' name. Bring us back into your presence. You're here now. You are here now with the full force of heaven. You are in this room. You are in this place. I pray that we would continue to usher you in as we sing these words. Meet us now in communion, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.